Good morning and welcome to Grace. We're excited to have you join with us if you're online watching. We hope you got the bulletin and things that were sent out by Christy, uh, our office manager. Uh, she's tried to send out another one. There has been a few changes. We're inside today. Welcome back to the sanctuary uh, inside. The Lord has seen fit to send us rain today. And so we're back inside broadcasting live here in the sanctuary. So I want to say thanks to uh, Sarah and Kirsten. They'll be helping us lead the, the music. Nick and I will be doing the facilitating of worship. And so we want you to join along. If you didn't get the bulletin, uh, please go online. You can download that or you can call it up on your own uh, email that was sent out to you so that you can follow along. Uh, whatever you're doing for family worship today, uh, we encourage you, even if you don't want to sing out loud by yourself, you can always sing in your heart, follow along as Kirsten and Sarah lead us and let us give a joyful noise to the Lord. There has been just a few changes. We will be singing All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, if you're looking at a, a newer or an older bulletin. Uh, but we're going to split that into two different parts. And so we'll be singing the first three verses, and then after our assurance of pardon, we'll be singing the rest of that. So just, you have the words in front of you. Just enjoy the morning. It's wonderful that God has given us so many weeks to be able to worship out in His creation. And now He's provided an opportunity to come back inside to the sanctuary. And so uh, we just want you to be blessed and let me welcome you again. Uh, I have something here uh, that I want to uh, share with you. You'll see the announcements on the back of your bulletin for those who are with you. We are continuing to plan for a picnic at the end of the month. So for those of you who are uh, in our congregation watching, please plan uh, to come. Bring your own meal, your own uh, fixings. You want to bring a blanket, and we'll have chairs and tables if you want them. But we're still planning on that last weekend to have a picnic. So please, please keep that in mind. Also, since we're coming to you live again... Uh, many of you have still kept sending in your tithes and offerings. We are so thankful uh, that the Lord has blessed us during this time. We've been able to keep up and go forward and minister uh, through this pandemic. And so if you would, please, even though we're not here to take up the offering in person, you are still able to mail those in. Uh, and if not, uh, next week, if we meet again outside, weather permitting, you can just bring it then. But either way, whatever's best, we appreciate your love and your giving so that we're able to keep our ministries going. So other than that, let me uh, lead us in a prayer, and then I would ask that you uh, join with me. First, I want to uh, lead us to the throne of grace, and I'll say a few things. And if you would, look in your bulletin. Join me in the Lord's Prayer. If you need it, it's printed. If not, you can just join with me. But let me take us to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity to come and worship. Father, we have opportunity, whether it was outside for the weeks enjoying creation or whether it's inside in the wonder of your building that you've given us. Father, we are just so blessed that we have been given opportunity to worship, that we can still come in obedience, that we can still come and praise you. Lord, it's hard to imagine that we would go weeks without coming into your presence, without coming to see you and without coming to hear your word. Lord, I'm so prayerful for those around the world who are unable to do that. That, Lord, you would provide opportunities for them, that they would be drawn to you, that they would be nourished by your word, that they would be strengthened by the body. Lord, it's our prayer here this morning that you would allow us to set all things aside. Father, in each of our homes that are watching this morning, that, Lord, you would allow there to be a time of peace and tranquility that they could set aside just a moment to be able to listen, to sing, and to pray. The Lord, you would be able to explain to a world that, You'll come to their home. Father, I'm reminded in John when you tell us that if we would open our hearts, you and your Father would come and dine with us. And so, Lord, we open our homes. Come and dine with us. Teach us, lead our children, and help us become better servants. Father, it's not because we deserve it. We've not earned it. But, Lord, it's because you've graced us and you've blessed us. Father, even so that when we gather, you teach us how we can pray together knowing that your will will be done. And so, Father, we come together as a body, praying as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
Before we sing together, all hail the power, let me call us to worship. It comes from Psalm 66, verses 1 to 4. Let me read that for you. It says, Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, How terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. Praise the Lord. We have the privilege this morning of confessing our common faith together by using the words of the Nicene Creed, which are printed for you in the bulletin. So I ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now, as we have confessed our faith, now we have the privilege to confess our sins to the Lord. So I will read, and you can pray along in your hearts with me. This is from Psalm 79. Remember not, O God, the sins of long ago. In tender mercy visit us, distressed and humbled low. O Lord, our Savior, help and glorify your name. Deliver us from all our sins and take away our shame. In your compassion hear your prisoner's plaintive sigh, and in the greatness of your power save those about to die. Then safe within your fold we will exalt your name. Our thankful hearts with songs of joy your goodness will proclaim. Amen. Again, we have the confidence as we confess our sins to the Lord, he hears us and he forgives. Now hear the assurance of pardon from Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Or I'll say as pandemic. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Again, brothers and sisters, we have a Savior who is faithful. Even though the world can be against us, even our own sin threatens to undo us. God took care of it all in Jesus Christ. If you have turned from your sin, if you're looking to Jesus Christ as your Savior, on the authority of God's word, I tell you that your sins are forgiven. So be at rest, be encouraged, and worship the Lord with confidence this morning. If you would take your Bibles at home there and follow along with us this morning we're still in second corinthians and we've been studying all about giving and here this morning i want to go ahead and challenge you in the last part of chapter eight and in the first part of chapter nine to continue our understanding of paul's challenge to us about giving and to understand its true place now paul takes a little excerpt here uh, many of you could read the same passage and realize that what Paul is talking about is not just the giving of money all the time. He's included so many things about what giving should be and how giving should be done. 
and where our giving should go. And so there's much more into this than just, hey, the preacher wants money, the church needs money, that's all they ever want. What it really comes down to is our character and fitting into the plan that God has. And so I'm going to challenge you this morning in what I've entitled God's Government Forgiving. And so this is not an entitlement program. Uh, this is not something that was set up that all of us will claim when we get to heaven. This is really just the terms I'm using because there is a structure and there is a plan and a purpose to why it is that God has asked us and why Paul is writing us to be givers. Here in the last part of chapter 8, Paul takes a moment to explain just how the gift is to be taken. That's where we get the understanding. In our own church, we would call it the book of church order, the government of our church, how it is to be run. How do you keep the purity and peace? And so it's no different in our giving. I would challenge you as families, individuals, wherever you are in life, as you're beginning to plan for the future, as you're beginning to look back at where you've accomplished Giving should be organized. It should be planned. It should be intentional. It comes from the heart. There's so many things that Paul writes us that he receives from the Father and that he himself experienced when it comes to understanding the appropriate methods for giving. And so I want to challenge you. Let me read first. It's a, a lengthy passage, and so we're going to take it all because it comes together as a scenario of what Paul is writing to the Corinthians about why this gift should be taken and collected the way it is. And he excerpts or inserts a little bit for us about the people who are going to be a part of it. Beginning in chapter 8, verse 16, Paul writes to us and says this, But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. For the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending another brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches. The glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting, of our boasting about you to these men. Now in the first part of chapter 9, he finishes. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as exaction. May God bless the reading of his word. Now you'll see it's a long section, but it goes together, and I want to go through it, not verse by verse, but in understanding what is this when it comes to giving. What is God's government Forgiving. You'll see several things, and it's a reflection of God's life and working to us. Our giving, as we have learned in the past several weeks, is a reflection of our character and understanding of what has been given to us. We're giving out of what has been an overflowing gift in our own lives. I pray this morning that as you begin to think about how it is that you're giving, that it would not be what you're having to give up. It would be what you're giving back. 
because we truly understand what we have has been a gift from God. It's been a blessing. What we have is because we've earned it and worked hard for it and we deserve it. Man, God gave us our job. God gave us our ministry. God gave us the things that we have now. He's even given us the ability to use those. And he's put before us opportunities to serve him. So when we give, we're actually just giving back a surplus of those things that we don't need. Yes, God has promised to supply all our needs. And so we can give back, trusting him. That's why it's important we have spoken in the past about giving of the first fruits. The Bible makes it clear that we should not give to God what's left over. As if we need to live our lives, provide all of our needs, do all the things that we think we should do. And then if we have any left, we'll give it back to God. That's not trusting God. That's trusting in your planning. That's trusting in your ways and your methods. What God has asked is that we give back the first fruits. When the crop was to be brought in, we give God the first part of the crop, trusting that the rest of the harvest would be enough to provide our needs. When we get our paychecks, we give God the first part of it, trusting that our paychecks will last the rest of the time because he's going to provide for our needs. Do You see, even though we live in a world in which the monetary value of things and our lives are built around what we call the green, the money, it doesn't take away our ability to trust in God. In everything that he's given us. I challenge you this morning in God's government for giving. Listen to how he changes our lives through giving. First, let me begin with several things that I'll share. Giving begins because God gives first. God cares for us. Listen to what he says in the very first verses. Paul takes this little time to go above and beyond the gift and talk about why. Listen, but thanks be to God who put in the heart of Titus... The same earnest desire that I have for you. Do you see the desires come from God? God is the one who cares for us. It is because God cares for us that we have the desire to care for others. Now, I'm not going to give you the whole sermon right away, but let me give you the outline so you're paying attention. What happens is this. It's because God cares for us that we're changed. And then God calls us to use us, and then we are commissioned. And so that the giving that God gives to us, we become the avenues of that same love and gift that reaches the rest of the world. You become vessels of honor. You become the vessels that God uses because of the love that God has for you. It changes you. You respond to his call, and then you take the commission to go. I'll give you several examples as we go through the text as we understand this government for God's giving. First and foremost, God cares for us. He's done it throughout history. He cared enough, if you wish, to deliver Abraham. He cared enough to answer his promises. He cared enough to provide when he needed the sacrifice. He cared enough for Moses and the people that were down in Egypt crying out for help. He led them through the wilderness. He cared for them along the way. He provided everything they needed so that they were provided for constantly. He reaches out in the time of Jesus Christ when we are sinners, a sacrifice that needs to be permanent. And he provides his son, Jesus Christ. He cares for us. He loves us so much that he would give his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have what? Everlasting or eternal life. You see, it's because God cares for us that it starts the whole process or understanding of giving. We are givers because we have first received. And because God cares for us and because God has given to us, we now realize that our lives have been changed. Do you see, once God begins to care for you and provide for you, we can't help but to be changed. If you haven't been changed by the gracious gift of God, I encourage you this morning to open your hearts and minds and to reconsider what it is that God has given you. Do you realize that without the gift of God's grace, you would spend eternity separated from him? You would be without hope except in his sovereign mercy. It's the vow we take as members in the PCA. We realize that we are sinners and without hope. Our lives can be depicted by the Apostle Paul who writes this when he himself on a journey to find all those who called themselves Christians, people of the way. That he could bind them up and bring them back. Permission from the leaders to go get the people who claim to be followers of Christ. And yet on the road to Damascus, his life is changed. To realize that the one he thought he was serving, he wasn't. 
to realize that the grace that was around his life had never been experienced. It wasn't until on that road that he realized the wonderful, powerful love God had for him. Your life is no different. God's got a wonderful plan and purpose for you. God's got it laid out from all eternity past. And that plan begins in this government of giving. He would give his son so that the world would understand the importance of receiving him and the change that it would make in our lives so that we would be able to respond to the call and be commissioned to go. Oh, I'll give you time and time of examples again, but it wasn't just that the work that happened in Titus's heart, it worked out through all these hearts throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, throughout the disciples who came. I remember in reading of the, of the Gospels when Jesus went to the disciples and the simple call was, do you want to follow me? That he would provide for them. He even said that if you would trust, listen to this, that he would not only um, change them and feed them and to teach them what it means to follow Christ, but he would equip them to reach others and help them follow Christ. Oh, the statement we use today is not only do we want to give someone a fish to feed them for a day, but we want to teach them how to fish to feed them for life. In giving of his son, he showed us the gift of life. In giving us the gospel, we have something to feed on every step of the way. And that's not where it stops. God's giving was not just to reach you. Your life was not just to be a receiver your life was not just to look back at all the ways God has blessed you. Your life takes another step to realize that when God has blessed you, it's because he wants to change you. You cannot be blessed by God without being changed. It happens throughout all of scripture. It happens in the hearts and the lives of his children that when he reaches down and blesses them and, and gives to them, it changes who we are. It changes us on the inside. Paul became one who became a persecutor of the church to one who became to expand the church, an apostle to the Gentile world. His heart was changed, amazed by what God did in his life. I wonder sometimes as you read the story, do you ever remember what happened to those who were with Paul on the road to Damascus? Do you ever realize that when Paul was on the road to Damascus that there were others that were with him? And the testimony of Scripture even says that the voice that was heard was actually heard by them. It was a testimony that this wasn't just something that Paul made up. This wasn't just something that happened that nobody else would know. There were men that were traveling with him that were amazed because they heard the voice, saw nothing, and then saw Paul's life changed. And then they led him to the place God showed. Isn't that amazing? And for the rest of the New Testament, what happened to those two who were persecutors along with Paul, who saw his life changed, led him to be discipled, and then Paul goes on to change the world? Do you wonder what happened to the others? Sometimes you may wonder in your own life. I don't always see the effects that I've made. Sometimes we look out and we realize that there's people in our lives that we have touched and changed. We've directly made a difference in their lives, and we've been able to keep up with them. We have friends from the past. We have relationships that we've kept. We've watched their lives change. But what you don't realize is what about those who are in the lives of those you have changed, the ones you haven't seen, that you haven't kept up with? Do you see the giving that begins when God gives his son? And that our hearts are opened up and we are changed begins to affect not just those in our lives personally. When you affect one other person, it's that person that changes those around them. And it's hopefully in prayer that those people change the ones around them. Do you see what happens is one person begins to change an entire community. What we could say is the love of one changed an entire world's direction. Yes, it's about God's gift to us. And he writes this here that, look, it's the same desire that Titus now has for you because of God's work in his life. But he goes on to say this. Listen, it's the same earnest desire that I have. For he not only accepted this appeal when we asked him to go, but listen, but being himself very earnest, he is going of his own accord. He's not being forced. The giving that takes place in the government of God 
is because God has willingly given his son. Jesus has willingly came. He has willingly given his life and suffered and died. And the Holy Spirit has willingly come to call us to repentance, conviction of the truth. It's amazing that when God begins to work and transform us, it changes us from the inside. And we begin to willingly want to do the same thing God has done. And just as God has given us his very best, it now becomes a part of our lives that we would want to give our very best. Oh, the change that takes place in our life is because now we realize that the one who has laid down his life for us now calls us to lay down our lives for the brethren. I'm going to read to you quickly from 1 John. You can go back and read it later if you want. Mark it in your Bibles. Listen to what 1 John I've used it many times before, responds when he's writing about loving one another. John writes to us in 1 John chapter 3 in verse 16. He says this, by this we know love, follow along, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Man, what a challenge. You see, the giving that God gives to us changes us. And we no longer look at it as what we're receiving. We no longer live life of what can I get out of it? What can I obtain? How much more can I get? What could we purchase? You know, it's amazing that so many people spend their lives taking every bit of extra they get just to supply more and more needs that they'd like to have. The truth of it is they're not needs. They're what? They're the desires of our hearts. They're the things that the world has placed in us. And the world's convinced us that it's okay to have those desires. To want more and more and more. And we've worked hard and we've deserved it. And we shouldn't be thinking about giving back to others. We should be thinking about taking care of ourselves. And yet God's word. In God's government for giving. He said that's not true. In God's government of giving, God has given you his very best, and he's changed our hearts. He's called us from being persecutors and lovers of this world to being those who are reaching out to share the gospel and providing for every need that we can. Oh, yes, it's a heavy task. And you might say, well, yeah, but how can one person change the world? We won't rehash it, but we've seen it in chapter 8, chapter 7, now in chapter 9. God's government of giving is not one big lump sum. God's not looking for the one multi-trillionaire that can come in and cancel our debts, change the world, and feed everybody. He's looking for the one person who's willing to give up their selfishness and their pride and just take care of the one that they know is in need. Do you have someone in need? Have you overlooked the need which you could have provided? It's amazing how the challenge comes that when we're changed from inside and we begin to respond to God's call just like the Apostle Paul did. He went from Saul who persecuted the church to the Apostle Paul who began to expound the gospel and take it to a Gentile world. We look at the lives of those who were changed throughout. Abraham who was called, touched by God, left the land of Ur the Chaldeans and went to a place that God said he would show them what it was. That he would bless them, multiply his seed and that he would be a blessing to the world all if one family would leave the idols of this world, the foreign gods, and go to the place that God showed. Oh, it was Moses, too, that received the call. It wasn't just that he cried out for help when the people needed him and that God gave to them and provided. Even before that, do you remember God spoke to Moses? He did it in a miraculous way. He made it very evident that, Moses, I'm changing you. I'm using you, and I want you to be the one that provides for my people. And his life went to being the leader of the Israelites from Egypt. You see, the change that takes place in our life goes on and on and on. Paul's life changed. Moses' life changed. Abraham changed. The call to the disciples. Do you realize that when he called them and made them fishers of men, that was easy for those who were fishermen already. It was easy to take the few fishermen and say, I'll make you fishers of men. But to go from a tax collector, to go from a doctor, can you imagine one of the largest writers, the largest writer of the New Testament was a physician, Luke, who not only wrote the Gospel of Luke, but the book of Acts, writes more than any other writer in the New Testament. And he went from being a physician, a doctor, 
to be one who would give his life to reach those around him. Where's God calling you? What's God asking you to give? Where is it God wants you to go? Because on and on we can go through the examples of the hearts that have been changed. The many lives that God has touched and how he's changed them. And now they're laying down their lives for the brethren. Folks, that's the giving. It's not just the monetary value. Paul pushes in here and says, folks, the gift goes above and beyond the amount of money. Challenge God. Put him to the test. Oh, yes, I know some of you are saying to yourself, well, wait a minute. I didn't think we were supposed to test God. I didn't think we were supposed to. Folks, it's God's own words. Go to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. When you go to chapter 3 in the book of Malachi, God's writing to Malachi to instruct his people because they had been defaming his altar. They'd been walking away from the marriages, the covenant vows. They'd been altering false sacrifices, and they hadn't been giving their very best. And he writes to Malachi in one area, and he says, you know what's wrong? You're robbing God. You're robbing God. When you're hoarding things for yourself, keeping up with society in all of its new gadgets so that you can be a part for the reasons of fun, imagine how much of that could have gone to the simple things to help those in need. Oh, we live in homes where I was even asked this past week for our kids going to school. Do you have any way or avenue for your children to be on the Internet? The next question was asked, how many avenues do you have? Do you have a phone? Do you have a laptop? Do you have two phones? Or maybe you have a phone for everyone in your family. And then you have a laptop, or maybe an iPad, or a tablet. And maybe you have the desktop, or the tower. You even have the Roku TV that plugs in so that you can go directly. You, you doubt, folks, how many gadgets do we need that's enough? And just how much of those were the things we obtained by overlooking the needs? Of others. Are you robbing God? Because you're not giving what you could. See, this is what he says in Malachi. He said, For I the Lord, uh, he says, For I the Lord do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, Well, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Listen to what he says. How are we robbing you, God? He says this. In your tithes and your contributions. You're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And listen to this. And thereby put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts. Put me first. Bring me the whole tithe. Bring me the contributions that belong to me. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Isn't that amazing? That God's own promise to us is that one of the reasons we have need is because we do give, but we don't give the whole amount. We do contribute, but we don't contribute what we really could. We take all that we have and we give just a portion back because that's really all that God needs, right? He could save the world on his own. He doesn't need our money. But what we don't realize is that in God's government forgiving, God gave everything to us. He gave his only begotten son. He gave his very best. He gave it all to the point of death. He held nothing back. And he changed us. He changed us from being sinners bound for hell to being sinners saved by grace. And now through his grace, we're able to give as he gave. And as he blesses us, he challenges us. I put the challenge before you. He doesn't say that if you'll just give God his contributions and that you'll put him first, that he'll supply all your wants. He doesn't say that you can keep up with the Joneses. He doesn't say that you can keep up with all your friends. He says this. Put me first. Bring me what is all mine. Give me the entirety of what I'm asking of you and see that I don't take care of every need you have. Oh, I, I, that's a fair trade. We spoke last week about what's a good trade when it comes to the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this. Do you want to strive your whole life 
having your wants and desires, wondering when your needs will ever be fulfilled? Or would you rather give up a few of the desires today and trust that you'll never have a need? Those are God's words, not mine. I'm not proclaiming a prosperity gospel. I'm not trying to say that if you'll give, God will give back to you, pressed down, overflowing, all kinds of cash. I'm saying that your needs will be cared for. If he cares for the birds, if he knows the flowers of the field, he knows the blades of grass, he knows the hairs on our head. Time and time again, we are reminded that God needs to be first. In God's government of giving, he doesn't want leftovers. He doesn't want what needs to be cleaned out. He doesn't want what you don't need. He wants the very best. You see, the problem with our giving in this world is we don't give God our very best. We give God what we're tired of, and we've replaced it with something new. So what we donate are the things that we don't want. We've taught a whole generation that their needs can be fulfilled on the things that we don't need. Do you ever wonder what it would be like for someone to be able to buy clothing for the first time? Brand new that fit. Something that didn't have holes, wasn't torn, didn't have stains. Do you ever wonder what it would be like to have some dishes to eat off of that weren't cracked, chipped, mismatched? See, there's a world of people out there living on their needs being met by the things you simply don't want. I wonder what would happen if you showed up at the local thrift store. And said, you know, we bought a brand new 4K TV, 52 inches. I'd like to donate. I wonder how long it would last. I wonder what it would be like if you bought a brand new Hyundai Excel and realized that your old one was just as good. And so rather than giving one that someone would have to fix up and pay to have ready, which they don't have the money, you gave them a brand new vehicle. I wonder how many of you went through your closets and gave away the clothes that you no longer liked, no longer fit, and no longer desired. As if somebody else would. Or how many said, you know, I can still wear these. Let me go buy some new ones for someone else. See, it's different in God's government of giving. The challenge before us is not to be like this world. The challenge before us is to be changed. Is to see that God does provide our needs. To know that our happiness and our joy is not tied to the things of this world. We do not have to find our peace with God in the things of this world. There is a peace that passes all understanding. It surpasses the mindsets of this world. It surpasses the hearts that have never been changed. It's the understanding that God's government of giving is that he promises to meet every one of our needs. Maybe you're struggling Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe it just doesn't seem to be working. Maybe it's time to say it's because we haven't been giving God our best. We're simply giving to God like others. The one way to find out whether you're giving your best is to find out what others are giving. Because if you can just compare yourself to someone else, you can always raise the standard to be better than someone else. But if you're going to compare yourself, use the standard that God gives. And God gave his only begotten son. Wow. I guess we can't measure up. You see, in the government of giving, not only does God care for us, and not only does he change us, but then he calls us. He calls to use us. The whole point of giving is that we're going to be used as vessels of honor. You can be used. The giving of your time, your talents, and your treasures is because God did the same with Abraham. He called him and he used him to bless a nation, to establish the covenants of the land, the seed, and the blessing. It would flow forth from the Mosaic covenant and then the new covenant. It would come to us in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of those covenants. One man, Abraham, can change the entirety of your understanding. It happened with Moses when he was called. His life was changed. He became a leader. He began to go forth in the giving of himself all of his life. Paul's life was the same. The disciples that went out before him, that were called and commissioned. And so as God has sent me, so what? So I send you. It's found in John chapter 20, verse 21. Go and read it. It's after the resurrection. Jesus meets with the disciples. 
And he simply says, listen, don't be amazed, but as the Father sent me, so I send you. You get that? As God gifted me, so you gift yourself. It makes sense what it means to lay down our lives for the brethren. It's amazing not only that God cares for us, but he changes us. And then God's government of giving, he goes on to say this. Look at the people that were involved. It was the people that not wasn't just Titus, but it was the two others. One that was a great preacher, one that was accountable to the church. He goes through the course of saying all this is together in verse 21, chapter 8. Our aim is what is honorable, not just in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. It's being commissioned. It's being accountable. In God's government of giving, not only does he care for us so that he can change us, not only does he call us so that he can use us, but he holds us accountable. There's a commissioning that is involved. The giving that was being taken up, this big collection that was going on, was so that there would be no question whatsoever. And so all these men were there, and they were sent by the church, commissioned by the church. Paul was even commissioned by the synagogue before he was sent out by the church. The synagogue used to meet. The church council would meet there in Jerusalem. Folks, there's accountability throughout our entire lives when it comes to giving. Our hearts have been changed. When they're not changed, the giving isn't right. Let me give you an example. Two quick ones. We all know Judas's heart wasn't changed. We were told from the beginning to go and serve the devil, his father. But he sold him out for money. To just get a little more money. I wonder how many times we've sold ourselves out. To gain just a little more money. Only to find out how wrong we are. And the money wasn't even useful. If you remember, he even went back and threw it out. Gave it back, which means it was never useful to him at all. We also have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who schemed up their own way of hiding the portions of what they had because they didn't want to give all that the Lord and the Spirit was asking them to give. And so they devised a plan and came up with a plan that they would work together, lie to the Holy Spirit, lie to the disciples, the apostles. Hold back that which they know they had so that they could enjoy what they had been given or had earned and received and didn't want to give it up. Do you remember that story? Do you remember how it ends? That the plan in which they devised to lie, to scheme, and to rob God was called out by the apostles and they were both struck dead. Do you have a scheme? Have you devised a plan that entails robbing God? You know, we can just hold out for a few more months here. We'll catch up a little bit later. It's time to understand that we need these things now, and God would understand, and we'll just catch up later in life. I wonder how many people in their 50s and 60s have tried to catch up in their tithing accounts. I wonder just how many people look back in history and think, well, you know, I haven't been very faithful. Maybe God will just let me catch up here at the end. Well, let me just remind you, God doesn't want what's left over. God wants what's first. And if what you're doing now is just giving back to God in excess, then you're giving God the things you don't really need, the things that aren't important to you. You're again trusting in your own provisions. You see, sin just haunts us time and time. In the God's government of giving, it begins on giving him the first. It begins on saying that our lives have been changed. God cares for us. He changes us. And now he's called me. To be an example of being one who does it right. I'm commissioned by him in the church. Just like these men go out, they're commissioned. Paul even says it's superfluous for me to even write to you about this. Because we know what your desire is. But there's accountability. I want you to have it ready. So that you can give when God calls. Are you ready? Are you ready to give what God asks? Or are you going to have to make a whole lot of changes? You see, the problem is we live in our lives in the government's giving, not God's government for giving. Oh, I want to challenge you more than ever before that what it is that you have to give is not based on the amount. We learned it's based on our needs. But I would challenge you 
to do what God has said and to lay down your life, to take what God has blessed you with and to look for ways to bless others. I'm not asking you to sell all your possessions. I'm not asking you to live in a life of poverty. I'm asking you to just consider what God has asked you to give. If the things you've accumulated have been accumulated because you haven't been tithing and contributing, that's the words that are given here. It's not just the tithe, it's the offering that goes with it. It's the offerings here and the contributions that go above it. And it comes to the storehouse. We live in a world today, folks, we're not trusting God, we're trusting ourselves. Because we're taking our tithes and our contributions, we're calling them missions offering, as if somewhere in Scripture we're allowed to just give wherever we want, with no accountability, and we send our money around the world. We have more parachurch organizations now than ever before. We have people that are working in wonderful Christian organizations. And those Christian organizations need money. We've bought into the conclusion that we can take our money from God's storehouse and give it to those who we feel are doing God's work. And yet many of those don't even go to God's church. Where's the accountability in our giving? Do you give it to the storehouse and allow the people of God to commission and to send that money where they know it needs to go? And how it can be used. Are you living in God's government for giving? Or are you doing this on your own in the world's way? I've met so many people. And I'm not against parachurch organizations. I'm so thankful for those with a ministry heart. But maybe they ought to be ministries. Sanctioned by the church. Sanctioned by God's government. Commissioned people from God's body. Those who have been changed, called to give, and have already been cared for themselves. You see, the difference is whether we're living in this world or God's government giving. Oh, I could remind you of time and time again, Isaiah chapter 6. God comes to him, needs someone to change the world, to remind people what it is to be a part of God's government. Isaiah's wonderful words are cried out in Isaiah 6, 8 when he says, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Is that you this morning? Can you say to yourself this morning, my heart has been changed. God has cared for me, he loves me, and he has given all to me. And I realize he's calling me to be the one that's going to collect and to be commissioned by the church to take care of the needs of others. And I know God's looking for those who are willing to put him first. Not only with our time and our talents, but with our treasures. And are you willing to say this morning, Father, here am I, send me. Jesus said it. In the portals of heaven, to a lost world that had fallen captive to sin and the fellowship and harmony of the Holy Trinity, God said, I need someone to take away the sins of the world. You know what Jesus said? Here am I. Send me. And that's my challenge to you this morning. Are you in God's government giving? He reminds us at the end of chapter 9, all of this is not just for the Lord, but for others to see, so that when the time comes, we will be ready to give willingly. Are you saying, here I am, Lord, send me? Don't really want to do it. Don't really have the time, but I'll do it. That's exaction. God doesn't want us to respond in a forced heart. In God's government of giving, he willingly gave his son, Jesus Christ, to care for you. He willingly changed your heart. He cares for you, and now he's calling you to make a difference. Are you ready to respond as Jesus responded and say, here am I, use me? That's when you find yourself being commissioned by the church 
Find the ones that get behind you. Serve as a missionary. Serve as a servant. Join in the local groups. But folks, we shouldn't be in God's government of giving, being led by the people of this world. We need Christians who understand that Jesus laid down his life for us, and now they're willing to lay down their lives for others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, thank you that Paul would take just a moment to remind us of how you work through people. Father, as Paul instructs us on how to give and what to give and when to give, Father, I pray that we'll understand the importance of giving it the way God wants it. That, Father, we not just do it our way in our time. Father, forgive us that we have given out of excess. Father, forgive us that we have bought into the promise that we don't need to tithe in this world. That we don't need to give. That others need to take care of themselves. Father, I'm amazed that you were the one, through your son Jesus Christ, that said the poor would always be with us. Father, is that to remind us who it is that should care for them? Is that to remind us who it is that needs to be called? And that, Father, rather than trying to change and create new situations, that you would just change and recreate our hearts to give. So that we would be a part of your plan and your purposes. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, that he would lay down his life for us. Father, create in us the desire to lay down our lives, regardless of the cost so that you can be glorified. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would receive a benediction here this morning, may God bless you, keep you, and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance toward you and give you peace. And all God's children said, Amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day.